I tell you, I have a, a gummy worm here, and I don't know what's in this box, but I think it's candy. Diet candy, I'm sure. Brother Manley is uh, <coughs> volunteering to take the candy uh, this morning. <coughs> I think I'm going to hang on to it, though. Praise God. I didn't know that I was included on this. Uh, <coughs> Brother Manley, we're going to have to give it our best shot ever, you know, to see if we can get this award again here. <coughs> oh, I need candy like I need... Uh, few more pounds. <clears throat> Revelation 22. <clears throat> this is the new paradise for the child of God after our tenure here on earth. Praise God. How many of you like to go to heaven? Praise God. I'd like to go to heaven. I think you'd like to go. I think that's why you're here. Now, some people like to go, but they're just, uh, they haven't determined what it really takes to go. Uh, others would like to go, and they know what it takes, but they're not willing to pay the price. I will assure you that our tenure here, just uh, whatever number of years God has allotted us as an individual, you as an individual, that heaven will be a bargain, regardless of how long you Live and what you have to do to get there. Praise God. Especially when you consider the alternative. Seriously. When you consider the alternative, heaven is a real bargain. Okay, the new paradise. Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. There will be no more curse. The God has cursed the planet Earth because of sin. But this is taken away in the holy city. There won't be such thing there. Now, <clears throat> I will not take the time to read all of this because the Sunday school in action taken a good bit of time. But if you will look over to the last part of this chapter, verse 17... And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In other words, if you want to go to heaven, you can go. God wants you to go. Somebody said, It just seems so unfair that people would die and go to hell. Seems unfair. And it appears that God is saying it really is unfair. So if a man wants to go to heaven, I have made a way for him to go. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I'll be talking about the devil somewhat this morning. Uh, I want to title this Water of Life. Water of Life. Because I will be talking about the devil, uh, I wouldn't want anyone to put too much emphasis in their own minds on the devil. I'm, I'm amazed at how many people get excited about evil and how many Christians that they're so intrigued by conversation about the devil. Uh, Jesus said, I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent have revealed them unto the babes. Now notice what Jesus was, was talking about. He was talking about the revelation of, of Bible salvation. He said, Rejoice not because you have power over the devil, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So Christians ought to rejoice, not because they have power over Satan, but because that they're saved. 
And he says, I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Boy, I hate to, I hate to lose something. It's just like somebody, you know, I, I really think. You know, when my kids were growing up, they'd take all my tools and lose them or, or hide them. I had problems with my boys. I never could find any tools. So my wife said, well, just wait until they all leave. And, because she'd occasionally find one, and she would just declare that I put it there. And, uh, of course, you know, she's always taken up for the boys. You know, it's just, uh, <clears throat> I guess the, the maddest she ever got at me was uh, one time uh, uh, she was saying something, and, and I felt that she was just being unfair to me. And I, all I did was... I said, uh, <clears throat> well, why don't you just pretend that I'm not your husband now and I'm one of your boys? And uh, <clears throat> she got mad. That's all I said. I just, uh, <clears throat> she, I mean, she really has, she has a difficult time believing that her boys would ever, ever do anything wrong. And she just, I mean, she takes up, she watches over those boys. I, I keep telling her, now, look, those boys are in their 30s now, you know. They're, well, it doesn't make any difference, you know. Just She's not in here. And if she walks in, I'm going to quit, okay? <clears throat> so what happened was the boys all married, and, and my tools still get lost. Now, I know that, that there are demons that are sent to sabotage my home. This morning, you know, we just moved in this past week. I could not find my shoes. And my wife says, they're where you left them, I'm sure. Would you believe that I found them in a spare bedroom? Kind of tucked in the corner. Now, I know I didn't put them there. I know I didn't. And then... <laughs> I I couldn't find my belt or my wallet. And my wife said, they're probably in the pants that you were wearing yesterday. And I said, well, where are my pants? She says, well, you're supposed to keep up with your pants. She said, in fact, she said, you know, this chair that we have in our bedroom, she said, <clears throat> Joyce came in and said, where did you get that chair? That's a new one. And my wife says, no, we've had that for years. And so Joyce says, oh, that's the chair that's always covered with Buddy Grant's pants. <clears throat> well, pants just love chairs. I mean, look at all these chairs that are covered by pants out here. <clears throat> So I think that, you know, that there are, there are demons that sabotage my home. Take all of our coffee cups and put them in the van. Bring them over and put them in my office. I don't understand that, do you? <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> there, there seems to be a real power, you know, that's ad adverse to, to organization and, and unity. That's just the way it works in life. No, I said all that. I was only joking. I, I, um, <clears throat> I do have a problem sometimes with uh, keeping things in the right place. But it's not the devil's fault, I'll assure you. But the devil does uh, dislike organization. He likes to confuse the matter. He likes to steal from you. He likes to rob from you. Ultimately, he likes to bring death to you. Now, <clears throat> water in the Scripture is a symbol of life. Now, the Spirit is life. Water is a symbol of life. If you will notice in, in the first verse that I read in Revelation 22, 1, the Bible says, water of life. And then verse 17 it is repeated, the water of life freely. 
Now, I just wanted I just wanted to talk about this this morning, kind of in a in, more or less in a fun fashion, but nevertheless, it does have a spiritual spiritual meaning. Living water, John seven. Jesus talks about this. If you will turn with me to John seven, and water has such a significant uh, place in the Scripture. Of course, water is a symbol of cleansing. It's a symbol of baptism, symbol of washing. I say symbol, it is used primarily for washing, cleansing. John seven thirty seven. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Living water, pure water. But this spake he of the Spirit that they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now it takes water to sustain life. In fact, the body is made up of 75% plus of water. Uh, It's amazing. You find in the scripture, someone asked me about fasting. I said, well, there were times in the scripture in which people fasted, and they fasted both water and food, uh, but not for long on water. I do not personally believe that Jesus went without water for 40 days. Now, I believe that he went without food. Now, I draw that conclusion only on the way that Satan came and tempted him. Now, you can do without water for a day or two, maybe three days, something like that. Uh, if you go without three day, without food for three days, you usually will lose your appetite. But not so with water. I mean, if you do without water for three days, you'll do anything for a drink. I mean, just anything, you know. But... Three days without food, you, 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 you lose your appetite. And you can cook a meal or whatever, and it doesn't bother you so much. You know, I've, I've fasted times when I could almost eat the sidewalks. You know, just, you're really hungry. Then you keep fasting, and you, you just wake up, and you, you just, I don't know. Everybody that's eating just looks like, you know, pigs almost, you know, just, you say, how can I eat food, you know? You do without food. You know, if you want to really pig out, you know, on Thanksgiving, the best thing to do is eat a real nice breakfast. Because it's amazing that appetites is acquired through eating. Starvation, which occurs... After appetite is lost, and uh, then later on the appetite comes back, starvation is caused by abstaining from food. But appetite is caused by eating a lot. I tell people, if you, if you want to really get into God, you really want to get into church, you want to get into the Word, uh, come often. Read the Bible often. Pray often. If you miss a few services, it doesn't make any difference whether you come or not. At least that's your attitude. You know that? Why? Because you start losing your appetite for spiritual things. So, if you want to make sure that you're rapture ready, and stay rapture ready, come to church often. You'll want to come. You'll love to come. You know, you see the person that never misses. It's, oh, they never miss. Wouldn't hurt them to miss some. The truth of the matter is, they suffer a lot when they miss. But the person who just, you know, is as casual about coming to church as Al Capone was about paying his income taxes. Uh, what happens to them? They could care less. Just to, every now and then they just, well, I guess I better get over the church, you know. I might backslide. 
need to get over there and pray and make sure I'm rapture ready. Someone even asked me, how much should I pray in order to be saved? Now, I tell people that ask me that, if you pray only enough to stay saved, you probably will not stay saved. Because your primary reason for praying is to develop a relationship with God. It's like, well, I guess I better call my mom. It's my mom, you know. and haven't talked with her in a long time. Oh, i got a great mom. Friendships cannot be built like that. And your mom is more than just a relative. She should be a friend. She should be a friend. So if you want to stay saved and you want to enjoy church and you want to enjoy God, you have to get into it. Otherwise, you'll look and say, oh, my, it's time to pray. Wish the prayer meeting wasn't held this week. Wish it was next week or last week. Then I've talked to others and said, well, i got my praying behind me, so I guess I'll start my day. Well, your day starts in prayer. It's the most important thing that you do. Others say, well, we did everything we could do, I guess, the only thing left is we pray. Now, I understand when people say that, that, that the motive is not always wrong. Sometimes it's not clear. But a lot of times it's just simply saying, well, we can't do anything but pray, so I guess we just, might as well just pray. Prayer is your most powerful weapon. You know that? I say prayer is your most powerful weapon. So being that appetite is acquired by eating and later starvation sets in and then, of course, the appetite comes back when starvation sets in. You notice that when Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, Satan did not come and say, hey, you can turn this stone into water. Now, the truth of the matter is, that had happened, you know, in the Old Testament. Out of a rock flowed water. That rock was symbolical of Jesus Christ. Now, that's just simply saying that Jesus Christ is the sustenance of life. He sustains our life every day, and we cannot make it without Him. So obviously, when Jesus was in the wilderness, uh, he had been drinking water, but not food. Because when Satan came, he said, turn these stones into bread. That was the point of temptation. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You've heard me make these statements before, but, you know, for some reason we, we have this idea... That, that our soul, or the inner man inside of us, is capable of eating Wheaties for breakfast, macaroni and cheese and ham, sandwiches. Do you like macaroni and cheese? How many of you like macaroni and cheese? I'm made up of about 45% macaroni and cheese. <laughs> no, I haven't had macaroni and cheese for a good while. Boy, I used to eat it all the time. But uh, I don't know why I don't eat anymore. I just love it, though. <clears throat> Macaroni and cheese. And then we think that the soul feasts on fried chicken, steak, gravy, potatoes. doesn't, though. You cannot go over to McDonald's and, 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 and buy a Big Mac and think that that's going to help you spiritually. In other words, the physical body has an appetite, but the soul, the real you, has a different diet. So we have to feast on unseen 
things. Things that you cannot see with your eyes. So the Bible speaks of us as being washed by the Word. Jesus speaks of living water that comes from Him. You can't just go drink a glass of water. We have a glass of water on the pulpit almost. The ushers missed this, Brother Tom, last Thursday night. No, last Sunday night. I preached without water. Did you all notice that? Don't you wish you had a drink? Boy, this is really good. That didn't do much for me spiritually, though. But yet there is water. This is symbolical of the Spirit of God. Now, the devil hates water. Now, you can, you can actually prove that scripturally. The devil hates water. It's a, it's a, it's a strange thing that, that when, the, when a person had a demon, they were, they, they, they were considered to have had an unclean spirit. And you may say, oh, you're talking about... Well, it is amazing, though, that demon-possessed people quite often, even their physical hygiene, they will ignore it. I mean, they really will. I have prayed for demon-possessed people that, that, you know, and I'm just, I'm just going to tell you outright, they were so smelly that you could hardly pray with them. It just seemed like that. I, I, I had a man attending our church, and when he walked in the back door, you could actually smell him from the pulpit. So all I did was I just... Ask him to take a bath, and he was offended. I said, well, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he said, well, if you don't want me coming to church here, I said, I, I mean, I said, land sakes alive. Taking a bath has no bearing on quitting church or coming to church. It was that big a deal with him. He said, well, nobody's ever asked me to take a bath. I said, obviously not. But it's not going to hurt you to take a bath. And so he, he was going to pray about it, he said. Don't pray about taking a bath, you know. Now you'll find this to be true, that demon-possessed people quite often will pray for the Holy Ghost, but try to get them baptized. Talk to them about baptism. I mean, it's a different deal altogether. Luke 11 if you will, will turn there with me. <clears throat> Luke 11. Verse 24. The Bible says, And when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return into my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. In other words, it's cleaned up. An unclean spirit will leave your heart dirty and leave you dirty. Now, contrary to what a lot of people say, they say, well, it's what's in the heart that counts. It's not what's on the outside. Jesus never said that. He said, man looketh on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. I have not the ability to look inside of your heart, but God can. But you cannot separate character from conduct. What you are determines what you do. You follow what I'm saying? What you are determines what you do. And the scripture says, when he goeth, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. But you see, when, the, when Satan left, he left it unclean. God had to come in and clean up the heart. 
Well, when Satan departed, he was out in dry places, the Bible said. Dry places. When God wanted to purge the world of sin and iniquity, he sent a flood. That's how he purged the world. And the Bible says that Noah and his sons, eight people, were saved by water. Also in 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible speaks of Israel being saved by water. In other words, God opened the Red Sea and they passed through. This was a symbol of Christ's baptism. They were all baptized unto Moses. And Jesus Christ was a prophet like unto Moses. Moses was the giver of the Old Testament law. Jesus was the giver of the New Testament law. And so, as a result, we find that that for some reason, Satan just doesn't seem to like water. Well, I know that there is a story that seems to be quite contrary. If you turn to Matthew 8, I told you I'm just kind of doing this for a fun thing because we're just looking into some scriptures that that perhaps uh, some of you just never, never thought of or... Never looked into Matthew 8, verse 28. This has to do with the maniac of Gadara. This man had many, many demons. The Bible tells us that in verse 28 that this man, he lived in tombs, death. Uh, He was exceeding fierce. The word fierce means savage. It's found only a couple of times in the New Testament, one time here. And then another time when Paul speaks to Timothy, he said, Know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. The word perilous there means savage times, fierce times. The Bible tells us that, that this man cried out, when Jesus came. And he recognized him as the Son of God. Brother Manley just taught a beautiful lesson on the Godhead. And he, he talked about James 2.19. Thou believest in one God, thou doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. And this is exactly what's taking place. Verse 29. And behold, they cried out. That's the demons. What have we to do with thee, Jesus Thou Son of God, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Obviously, Satan knows that judgment is coming for him one day. And isn't that also true of most sinners? Most sinners really believe in their heart that someday judgment will come. Why do they put it off? Well, that's one of the big tricks of the devil. Just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. Do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. For this reason, we can make this statement. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I intend to. I plan on doing something about this. And verse 30, and there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go, and when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Now it wasn't the, sw- wasn't the devils that wanted to go into the, to the water. The swine wanted to go into the water. And the truth of the matter is, pigs, they like water, but they don't swim. They just like to roll around in the mud. And it appears that that they were so, these swine, they were so afraid because of these demon spirits that came on them that they would just do anything to get rid of those demons. So they jumped into the sea to kill themselves. 
Of course, this brought about a great uh, concern in the city. And, of course, they wanted Jesus just just leave. Now, this man who had these demons, the Bible says that he went and he was clothed. He was in his right mind. In other words, he was speaking coherently. He, he had all of his faculties together. The people saw him, and they were amazed. But isn't it true that even when some people receive spiritual help, a lot of people would rather... You know, if you can get it from the doctor, fine. But if you get it from God, forget it. Young man sat on the church doorsteps one day when I came up. I brought him inside and began to talk with him. I knew he was high on sun drug. I didn't know what. So I began to talk with him. He began to tell me what his problem was. I brought him down to the altar and prayed with him. The next day, came back, prayed with him. He received the Holy Ghost, and I baptized him in Jesus' name. I went and visited his mother, and she was just so happy that her son Scott had been delivered. His name was Scott. But Scott wanted to come to church regularly. Scott wanted to live for God. Scott, being he was in the home, was a point of condemnation to dad and mom. Scott refused to do some of the things that they were doing. She called me up one day, and I went over there. She said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, but I'd rather my son be on drugs than be in your church. I said, you've got to be kidding. I mean... He was at the point of suicide. Well, that's just the way it is. I'd just rather him I'd rather him be in drugs and be in your church. Why? Because Scott's life was condemning, see. See, you don't have to preach a condemning message to condemn people. Isn't that right? Turn to Hebrews 11. And you will find out that, that you do not have to preach a condemning life to condemn people. Hebrews 11. <clears throat> this is just such a, a great uh, chapter on faith. It speaks of Noah. Verse 7, the Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. If you want to be saved, you have to have a fear of God. A person who has no fear of God will not respond to God. Now, there, I see people doing things. I, I, I just, I'd be afraid to do it. And I know you say, well, I don't think you should serve God out of fear. Well, I just know too much about God to do some things that some of you people do. You know, I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with God. And I'm, I just have too much respect for God. I, I just wouldn't do that. All right? But Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world. How did he condemn the world? By his righteous living. And he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Righteous living condemns. I can say this to some of you new ones, fairly new ones. Uh, you get into God and just start serving God. And when you start brushing shoulders with your parents, your brothers and sisters, your, your kindred, Quite often, they will become very upset. You ever notice that? Now, they seem to be happy over the fact that you've made this conversion, that everything's going right, but they're upset. Why are they upset? Why are they upset? Because your righteous living condemns them. And that's all it takes. You do not have to preach someone under conviction. You can live some people under conviction. 
just by living the life, by being what you ought to be. Some people will just, you know, and, and, and there's no doubt about it, before a man is saved, before he gets happy, usually he gets sad. Before he gets peace, he usually gets a lot of confusion. I've seen people that, man, you start praying for them, and they just almost get as mean as the devil. You ever notice that? I've had husbands that prayed for their wives, and they said, man, Brother Grant, I, I'm just very discouraging. It seems to me like the more I pray, the meaner she gets. <clears throat> I've had wives to pray for husbands. Same thing. The more I pray, the meaner they get. Oh, that means your prayers are are affecting. Isn't that right? Your prayers are affecting. Just keep on praying. Keep on seeking God. But going back to, to the subject of the water of life, demon-possessed people have problems with baptism. Now, you can say what you want, Let's, let's first make this statement. Baptism, according to Scripture, is a burial in water. I mean, putting a person all the way under the water. It comes from the Greek word baptizo or baptizo, which means to be fully wet or fully immersed. In the Scripture, that's how they, they baptized. You see these pictures of, of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist and they're pouring water over his head. It didn't happen like that. I mean, it didn't. The, the Bible tells us, and straightway Jesus came up out of the water. It didn't say, and straightway the water came down on him. <clears throat> he went under the water and came up out of the water. The false mode of baptism in the world today is we will sprinkle people or pour water on them. Now, nobody can tell me that wasn't orchestrated by demon spirits. Now, you may say, Brother Grant, I take offense to that. Well, go ahead. I mean, you have the right to be wrong. Because when a true revelation comes you will find that when you get into the Bible that baptism was very, very important and it was administered by taking the person and dunking him or burying him all the way under the water. Now try to talk to a person that's demon-possessed about water baptism. See what they say. I have talked with many demon-possessed people that have told me, I'm afraid of water. I don't like water. Just, oh, don't, don't even. We recently had a lady that came by. Some of you know who I'm talking about. It was at a watch night service. And uh, she was demon-possessed. Well, we wanted to talk with her, and, and uh, we did. We prayed the demons out of her, and she... Acknowledge her need of baptism. When we first talked to her about baptism, that was probably a little premature, but we didn't really know where she was. Oh, baptism. I've already been baptized. Been baptized three or four times. Of course, she was a member of the Satanic Church. But uh, later on, she was freed from these spirits, and we baptized her, and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? God uses H2O, water, to symbolize an inner cleansing. Let's turn to 1 John 5, 7 and 8. My time is just about up, so I'm going to have to just skip over a lot of this. 1 John 5, verse 7. Well, let's look at verse uh, uh, 
verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the, because the Spirit is truth. All right, verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, we've been teaching on the Godhead. We've not used this scripture. But the Bible says that there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Holy Ghost, and the Word. These three are one. All right. That says they are one. Now notice verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Now it doesn't say these three are one. It says they agree in one. Now there's a difference in agreeing in one and being one. Now basically what I'd like to do is just make an explanation about baptism. Which, which I think is very, very important. If you... Uh, <clears throat> If you look in the Bible as to what you need to do to be saved, I, I'm amazed at how many different doctrines that come out. Uh, and, of course, I have always uh, taught you, and I still believe this with all my heart, that the way you draw a conclusion about any scripture or any subject, subject is that you consider all the evidence of the scripture. In other words, if you're looking at baptism... Look up all the scriptures, and you draw a conclusion after you have looked at all the evidence. It'd be like a court case, you know. You've got ten witnesses lined up, and one of them gets up and tells a story that's appealing maybe to the judge, and the judge says, okay, we'll dismiss everybody else, and we got the one witness. No, that's not it. If you want to know the truth, you get them all up. And if you want to know the truth about any subject, you search out all the evidence of the Scripture. And you draw a conclusion after you have listened to, carefully analyzed all the evidence. Now, this is not only true of, of, of baptism, but it's like salvation. What do you have to do to be saved? Well, uh, I can... Prove to you, if I only use one scripture, I can prove to you in the scripture that it's the blood that saves you. I can also prove to you, according to the scripture, that baptism saves you. I can also prove to you that by the scripture that it's your faith that saves you. I can also prove to you by the scripture that it's the name of the Lord that saves you. Now, I said all that to say this. In one church this will be taught, in another church this will be taught, in another church this will be taught, in another church this one will be taught. It's because that they're not looking at all the evidence of the Scripture. And they'll have one Scripture and say, well, we teach grace because it is the grace of God that worketh salvation. We emphasize the name because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, we emphasize belief because the the Bible says that whosoever believeth on him. Well, we emphasize prayer because the Bible says whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, these are all scriptural evidences. I can't deny that. You can't either. And this is why the Bible says that they agree that there are there is an agreement in this. Basically what happens, you notice it says the spirit, the water, and the blood, these three agree in one. Now, water in baptism is used, and the Bible tells us that water washes away our sins. Does it say that? If you'll turn to Acts 22, 16, uh, I think I prepared this message not thinking about our Sunday school in action. In fact, I know it is. But Paul has given his testimony, and he is quoting what uh, Ananias told him. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So, 
water was used to wash away sins. Well, you say, does water have the power to wash away sins? Well, actually not H2O. The physical, chemical components of water. That's, that's not what it is. You put a person in the tank, and I refer back. We have our baptismal tank in this closet. We have a tank full of water, hopefully heated for anyone that would like to be baptized today. But we take a person and we put them down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what happens is that we talk about the agreement. When we put them down in the water, we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ identifies the blood that takes our sins away. But does the actual blood, I mean the physical blood that Jesus Christ allowed to flow on the ground at Calvary, is it, I mean, we talk about the blood. The Bible says this, the blood is applied by the Spirit. In other words, there was not enough blood in that human body to take away all the sin of the world. But it is applied by the Spirit. So what the Scripture is saying is that, that, that you can't take something that's physical and in every case separate it from that which is spiritual. And the Scripture says then, there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three. In other words, there is a, there's an agreement. It, it's like taking all the pictures, uh, the pieces of a picture puzzle, and, and each one looks so beautiful. You study the spirit, you study the blood, you study the name, you study the water. Uh, you, you study it all, but only after you put them all together do you see the agreement. In other words, they fit together. And the story, the picture is not complete until we have obeyed what the Scripture tells us. We know according to Acts 2.38 that we should be baptized. And the Bible says that baptism is for the remission of sins. So we take a person and we put them down in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the name that identifies the blood that is applied by the Spirit that takes our sins away. And it's, sprinkling won't do it. Pouring won't do it. You need to be baptized. Praise God. I say you need to be baptized. And it appears that even in eternity, after we have been changed from mortal to immortal, now, I don't know that immortal people need to drink water. I don't know that immortal people need to, to eat food. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb after the rapture takes place, and we've had our change, but I don't know that we need to. I don't know that we don't need to. I, I don't know. Uh, I think Paul explains it quite well when he says, We know not how we shall appear, but this we do know, we shall be made like unto him. But it does appear that Jesus Christ in the holy city will allow us very regularly to go by a river. And that river will always remind us of the cleansing power of his spirit. The cleansing power of his spirit. And you know, we try to make a a big deal about people getting baptized. A big deal about people praying at the altar. What makes such a big deal out of it? Because there's nothing that occurs on the planet earth. Hear me. Nothing that occurs on the planet earth. As important as that. Nothing. <clears throat> Praise God. I mean nothing. Nothing. <clears throat> It's, it's, it's greater than the event on Super Sunday when the Super Bowl's played. It's greater than the World Series. It's greater than the presidential election and the inauguration. 
It really is. For what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? If your soul is worth more than this planet Earth, <clears throat> you go out on a bright, starry night and you look up and you see all the planets and stars and you just think, my soul to God is worth more than all of those stars put together. Could you be doing anything that's more valuable than being in the house of God today? Could you be doing anything that's more valuable to you than contemplating giving your heart to God? What would be more important than feasting on His Spirit, feeding the inner man? Nothing. I'd like for you to stand with me today. Oh, God. Praise God. Sister Wittenbach is going to sing, Move Me With Your Message, Lord. I trust that you just take the words that I've spoken to you, consider them. As she sings, step right out and come and give your heart to God. On either side of the pulpit, there's a place for you to kneel and pray out here. We have people throughout the auditorium be glad to come pray with you. Come on right now. Sister Whitmer. Our lives, they get so stained. Praise God. They get so cold. Oh, how often they are found in hard and some of your sisters come and pray with Pam. She wants to get baptized today. But God, I recognize my need again. Oh, hallelujah. So come by your spirit and revive my soul again. Come on right now. Come on and give your heart to God. Why don't you move?